All right, we're back with the more than just a recruiter series from the Brantley Method. Um, excited to bring our next guest on. Uh, when, when I talked about creating this and I talked about the, the three fundamental pillars of motivation, inspiration, and education, uh, there, there's not a, a person in college coaching that I believe could stronger speak to those three different elements uh, than, than Coach C.Y. Uh, I look back and I think about one of the things that, that I've been blessed in this journey is encountering good people, encountering genuine people. And, and Coach Young has been every bit of that from a sense of uh, just the things that I've learned from him and taken from him with, without him even knowing that I was learning from him. Uh, and I'll never forget our first conversation. It was, it was late at night. We were on the phone for, it seemed like, seemed like hours. And, and one of the things that you said to me, you know, when we were talking, you said, you know, respect is, it, it's, it's something that can't be, it's non-negotiable, right? And that's a part of, you know, the fundamental piece of this and what we're doing in the recruiting process and dealing with kids is first and foremost building that level of respect. And that level of respect with everybody that we encounter and everybody that we deal with. And that was one of the first things I took from you and I said, okay, you know, that, that's strong and it spoke to me. Uh, and then the next thing I took from you was the sense of creating relationships and, you know, seeing just how you build relationships with, with, play, with players, potential players, former players, coaches. You can't bump into somebody that doesn't know CY, have a good CY story and, and have a relationship. Yeah, so, so, I mean, you embody all the things that we look to become when we step into this industry as young guys. Uh, so I'm super excited to have you on, super excited to talk to you here today. Uh, and and the, the great thing about it, it's not often in this industry that you meet and get to know somebody and then you meet their children. And I was able to meet your children in a setting that you weren't even there. So it wasn't like they were on best behavior because dad was around. But when I met the boys in the gym, those same, that same level, you, you talk about respect, you know, they walked up shook my hand, looked me in my eyes, you know, spoke proudly. They, they sucked their chest out, and you could tell that they were raised right. You could tell that respect was a fundamental pillar within the household. So, man, I, I'm, I'm blessed to know you uh, and, and even more blessed to have you on the show. For th so thanks for coming on. appreciate you saying that, man. I appreciate you saying that. You, 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 know, you know me. I'm, I'm, I'm always going to shoot it straight. I'm going to tell you, you know, I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. Um, and, and that's one of the things, you know, even – with our relationship, you've always shot it straight with me, you know, and, and everything's always, hey, once we know what it is, we can adapt and adjust accordingly and make whatever changes we need to make, but we got to know what it is. So, you know, you've, you've had a, a hell of a career, you know, uh, on the playing side, the coaching side, you know, you've, play, you've uh, been a head coach at the Division I level. Um, you, you know, and I know you won't take any of the credit because that's just how you are, but you know, the, the program there at Florida State has completely turned around over the last, you know, five, six years. Um, and, and it's just been, you know, everywhere you've been, your imprint is on uh, the, the, the program. It's on, you know, the atmosphere and it's on just the, the, the whole feel of, of the situation. So uh, I want to start with, tell me a little bit about your start in coaching and, and what took you you know, what took you from the playing side to the coaching side? Well, uh, 
That's a great, that's a great question. The, the game, the, the profession uh, kind of chose me. Uh, I always deep down knew I wanted to coach eventually. Uh, I didn't think it would happen as quickly as it did. Uh, but I'm a firm believer that your, your steps are ordered by the Lord, right? Uh, God put people in my life that, uh, that took me places that I never thought I would go. And it just was a blessing. I mean, it's just, it was just meant to be, um, I played at Miami Carroll City Senior High School down in Miami. It was a national powerhouse, had 10 Division I players on the team. Uh, I was not uh, Michael Jackson. I was Tito Jackson. <laughs> like, I was Randy. You know, we had Charles Claxton, who signed with Georgia, Robert Mackay, who signed with Auburn, Corey Jackson, who signed with Boston College. Uh, I mean, we, 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 we had 10 we, – we, we were loaded. Um, and I meet this guy. This guy falls in love with me at BC All-Star Camp by the name of Robbie Lang. Uh, Robbie Lang uh, is now an assistant coach at Central Florida. Um, you know, with the climate that's going on today, uh, I hate it because a lot of people think that the climate is black versus black versus white. That's not what it is at all. It's, it's uh, racist versus non-racist it's uh good versus bad practical intelligence versus ignorance uh because robbie lang who is a white man uh is like my stepdaddy you know what i mean he's my white brother i love him uh he came to the pink apartments miami florida carroll city 1987 and and offered me a scholarship to georgia southern but at the time, I really didn't sign with Georgia Southern. I signed with Robbie Lang A&M. And I could see that the guy loved me for real, that he believed in me. And uh, so when I finally blew up and started getting recruited, long story short, I stayed loyal to Robbie Lang. Because Robbie Lang, when he recruited me, he said, see why? You could go to Wake Forest. You could go to Miami. You could go to South Florida or Tulane. They're going to get a CY every year. We're going to get one every four years and build around them. And then he said something that stuck with me the rest of my life. And I'm 48 years of age. I'll be 49, August 15. I'm from the 1900s. Don't tell nobody. Uh, <laughs> he said, CY, when you get married and have kids, I'm going to be there. When life after basketball hits and you need it, I'm going to be there. When you have your first baby, I'm going to be there. And everything he told me, I knew he was telling the truth. I saw it in his eyes. I knew nobody could fake the sincerity that I saw in his face. So I, I didn't know about the conference. I didn't know. I barely knew the head coach. I believed in him. Well, I'm telling you this, this is very important. And that's why I tell people this is a people business. Yep. This business ain't about bushes and buildings. This, this is about people. I signed with Georgia Southern. Just like he said, all my hopes and dreams came true. They gave me the ball as a freshman straight from the prom. I got the ball in my hands. I'm the freshman of the year in the league. I break all the records. Boom, boom, boom. I, I, I leave Georgia Southern. We, we go to an NIT. We go to an NCAA tournament. I'm the MVP of the conference tournament. I go to camp with the Clippers. I get cut. I go to France. 
And in all of that, when I got cut by the Clippers, the first guy that called me before my father did was Robbie Lang. When I was overseas, I was getting care packages, care packages from Robbie Lang and his wife. When I came back and I had, I thought I was rich. I had $62,000. I bought a Mitsubishi Galant and a Biggie Small CD. <laughs> I, I was about to retire, Brantley. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought I had made it. I got a little, I got a little townhouse off South Atlanta Road in Atlanta. And Coach Lane said, hey, come see me. At the time, he was at Auburn. I, just come see me for the weekend. So I drive down to Auburn, which is right down the road, and he says, I don't want you bouncing around overseas. You're a coach. And I'm like, right, coach, I'm going to get another shot of the league. Boom, boom, boom. We'll get back into camp. Toronto may invite me back to camp. He said, I got this job for you at Auburn. $18,000 in a dorm room. It was 1994. <laughs> I go there, and sure enough, Cliff Ellis, on the strength of Robbie Lane, offers me the job. Now, I got to live in the dorm with the football and basketball players. I got to keep control, and I'm, I'm doing all the budget stuff, and I work my way up in coaching. But I started thinking, man, maybe God trying to tell me something. Most people volunteering at elementary school, high school, AAU, and my first job is in the SEC. Yeah, I might need to check this out. I said I'm gonna do it one year, and then I'm gonna go back overseas. You know, young thinking like a young guy. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, Robbie Lane, who came and sat on those stairs at Miami Carroll City and told me, "I'm gonna always be here for you." The best decision I ever made. He gets me the job at Auburn. 26 years later, I'm here talking to you. <laughs> Ain't that so? <laughs> cool. So one of the things that you touched on, I think is vitally important, not just for young coaches, but you know, for, for young men, young black men, anybody that, whether you're playing an organized sport or not, um, the value of having somebody believe in you and the value of having somebody look at you and say, look, I'm going to be there for you and I'm not just going to be there for you for this year or next year or as long as you're putting the ball in the bucket for me. I'm going to be in there for you for the long haul. And the funny thing is, that's my first time hearing that story from you. But it makes a, it makes a whole lot of sense because I know the type of relationships. Like, for example, and, and I'm not going to speak on the player just because NCAA regulations and things like that. But even a kid that didn't come to you based on some outside circumstances, right? I talked to him. He says, yeah, I talked to CY not too long ago. And CY checked on me. And, you know, and, you know when we were trying to figure out what his situation was going to be, you were the main one. Uh, take a look at this. I don't know about that. That might not be a good situation. Let's take a look at that. So it's more than just what that person can do for you, right? And that same belief that, that man had in you, you're embodying, you're, you're putting that into these other young men because you know the value of it. But talk to me a little bit about how important that was in taking you from Carroll City to France, around the world, and now where you're at now. Man, listen, and, and it, by the way, I, 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 that kid's still my baby, always gonna be my baby, and I think he's a pro. You know what I mean? <laughs> I really do. I think he's going to eat some Whoppers, do some push-ups, throw another inch and a half, <laughs> go late first round, early second. But anyway, uh, 
I got to call him when I get off the phone because I ain't talked to him about a week and a half. But uh, back to it, the way I recruit today is the way Robbie Lang recruited me. And, and I try to tell kids this because now our program here, we become an elite top five program. Uh, we like, to, you know, a lot of people say blue bloods. We call ourselves new blood. You know what I'm telling you? So now everybody recruits us, you know, which is uncomfortable for me because I've had tough jobs my whole 26 years. So I like having to go find, get mine off the muscle and find them under a rock. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I like that. You know, I don't like, you know, and I'm glad it's, it's, a, it's a better life now. <laughs> now I see how the, the Blue Bloods did it where guys just called them and they just kind of select. But I still love the evaluation part of it. But Robbie Allen Lane, do you know, and you can look this up, do you know how much heat I got from my teammates playing at a national program? We were ranked eighth in the country my junior year, 13th my senior year. We won the city of the Palms, Kingdom of the Sun. We lost in the finals to the Kingdom of the Bluegrass and the Kingdom of the Bluegrass to Christ the King New York when they was one and we were like six. Uh, I blow up and I'm the MVP of the city of the Palms. Now the city of the Palms wasn't what it is Today, but it was still pretty good. DC Dunbar, Louisville Ballard, Torrey Pines, California. So Georgia Southern, Robbie Lang had been living with me. My guys on the team would joke. Every tournament we went to, they'd be like, "Hey, I better see why a stalker gonna be out there." And then we would pull up, and they would see him. They was like, "Ah, there he is, man! The white dude with the red hair, there he is." Right. So I mean, he was, he was, he was my guy. You know, and they had all these bigger schools. They got to the point where they got kind of jealous of the relationship that he and I had. Now, I blow up and get the, the uh, MVP of the City of Palms. What do you think happens? All the big offers. Yeah. Wake Forest, VTech, Penn State. And my pop said, listen, son, people who recruit you secondhand going to treat you secondhand when you get there. And I just couldn't tell Robbie Lane after the relationship we had built. It, now, it was pre-internet now, so it was easy. You know what I mean? Everybody wasn't no, you know, I, I said, hey, I'm going to Georgia Southern. You know, at the time, Georgia Southern had Mike Curry, who played with the Detroit Pistons, was a pro. Jeff Sanders, who had just got drafted for the Chicago Bulls. Pre-internet, Georgia Southern was like a, you know, a, a VCU or one of these big mid-majors. Yep. Uh, and I had just watched them in 87 lose to Syracuse in the Carrier Dome in the first round of the tournament at the buzzer. So I'm thinking, you know, I go there, take them to the tournament and be a pro. But my guys, they were like, man, you, you got to go to SEC, you got to go to ACC, you got to go to Big Ten. So they was killing me at the time. Georgia Southern wasn't even in the Southern Conference. They were in the TAC, which is now the A-Sun. They went to the Southern Conference my senior year. But they were like, man, you done, you, you done blew up, Chief. You can't be messing with them. But I signed the line with Robbie Lang A&M, and it was the best decision I ever made. So I try to tell kids when they're going through the recruitment pro recruiting process, go where you want to be the juice, where they believe and you, where you have that relationship where somebody's going to develop you, 
fight for you. You know, when you find that, it don't matter what level it is. For your future, that's where you need to go. I can't imagine if I would have just signed with B-Tech because they came after I was in, signed with Wake Forest after, just because they came. And a lot of kids do that. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't turn out good. Uh, I still talk to Robbie Lang twice a week right now. I'm 48 years old. He's been calling me since I was 15. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful relationship. It's a beautiful thing. And I try to uh, recruit. If I, if I recruit a guy, they become family to me. And I tell their parents, I understand the job. I'm not going to let you down. We're going to coach his heart, his mind, his spirit. We're going to get him prepared to be a pro, but we also going to prepare him for life after basketball. And, and that's the most important thing because, you know, these young Thundercats, when they're coming out, they, all they want to be a pro, want to be a pro, want to be a pro. Listen, the, some of these guys, I tell them, the worst thing that can happen to you is for you to be an NBA guy because then they really don't prepare themselves for life when basketball is over. And that's a tough message to get ac across. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time coaching them heart, mind, body, and soul. Like, I got Dwayne Bacon because I told Dwayne Bacon right in front of his mom. And his mama, we still, she called me. We watched Law and Order together. She my girl. And I told her right in front of his mom. I said, listen, see, you are not Martin Luther King. You are not Nelson Mandela. You did not make the cure for cancer. All you do is play basketball. <laughs> well, I'll find another gorilla around the corner. You need to keep your humility. You need to listen, learn. But see, until then, Dwayne Bacon, nobody had never told him that. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yep. So his mom said, he going with you. He, he, going, he going with you. And so... Dwayne Bacon, my, one of my babies. We fought, fight, cried together, had to jump on him, had to teach him every little thing because he had, you know, some of these guys, when they blow up, they lose their humility. You know, nothing, nothing scary. You know, my three uh, core values as a man is, is respect, responsibility, and humility. Those, those, that's, that's what I live by. If, if, if a guy has a lack of humility, I don't want to be his friend. I don't want to hang with him, chop it up with him, talk to him enough. You know, responsibility. If I tell you that I'm going to be in Egypt on a two-hump camera at 3 o'clock, <laughs> at 2.50, I'm going to be sitting out there in Egypt on two-hump camera. And then what I told you the first time we met, respect is the ultimate currency. Not money, not jewels, respect. Yep. And if you understand those three things, you're going to be really, really successful in life. And that's, you know, I've tried to can keep a tremendous amount of humility. Um, getting fired as a head coach at your alma mater, that'll make you humble. <laughs> that'll make you humble. But I've had some other things in life that made, that made me humble. Um, you know, I'm, and I'm never going to forget, you know, I'm still, you know, I love those shirts. You know, I see those T-shirts sometimes. Just a kid from Carroll City. You know, 27th Avenue, 183rd Street. Basketball saved my life. You know, it took me all over the world, and uh, I'm just appreciative. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So basketball saved your life, and I think that 
you know, for the for the casual viewer of this that doesn't know anything about Carroll City or doesn't know, you know, the um, you know what it's like, you know, growing up in Carroll City. Um, you know, I, I've I've been around quite a bit. You know, I, I had teammates uh, that came up from Carroll City. Uh, you know, growing up, and they they told me we had conversations, and it, I'm like, man, that sounds a little bit like Detroit, right? And then we would have those conversations, and they would they would tell me, you know, what what their life was like, and um. You know, I've encountered so many people from Detroit that, you know, athletics, for some of them, took them on a different path and put them in a position to be successful later on in life because of all the things that it can embody and teach you. And for others, you know, not having some sort of structure, not having, you know, some sort of, of belief system or something that they, they believe can get them somewhere better, transcend them from their environment without having that. Sometimes they lose their way. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, not only for you, but, you know, what you've seen the sport of basketball do for the lives of other young black men. Well, the, the, I, I played for the great Ernie Bell at Miami Carroll City Senior High School. Uh, Ernie Bell and his staff, uh, Coach Dixon, Bernard Wright, uh, uh, Coach Bummer Skunk. You know, his neighborhood guy, <laughs> he's passed now. Uh, those guys understood what the if they didn't provide a discipline for us, that the neighborhood would swallow you up uh, and you get involved in drugs, basically, selling them, using them, what have you. But it was a tough deal. But for us, playing at Miami Carroll City Senior High School for Ernie Bell, uh, when guys were – at the club getting shot at or getting shot on the park. I heard about it in school the next day. I, I was in practice. <laughs> I was in practice. You know, I Ernie Bell provided discipline for us. You had to be to school 10 minutes early. If he wasn't, he was looking for you. You know what I'm telling you? When school was over, bell rung at 2.30, come 2.50, you better be in the study hall. Study hall from 2.50, to four o'clock, four o'clock, you better be taped, ready for practice. Practice from four to eight, <laughs> four hours. Your mama just knocking on the door, waiting on you to get out. I get out of practice eight thirty. I go home, take a shower, do a little bit of homework. I wake up and do it again. Yeah. So the discipline that it provided us. Now he was a, he was a neighborhood guy, so all everybody respected him, and so he could tell the dope dealers, and this one mine. If you see this one on the park, you call me. I'm coming to get him in this Lincoln Continental. But if you look at the success rate of the guys I played with at Miami Carroll City, Ernest Rozier signed with St. Leo, Jeremy Falker signed with Ohio State, wound up being a Prop 48 at uh, South Carolina State. The Lon Turner's in the Hall of Fame. His son just committed to Alabama uh, for football. He's in the Hall of Fame at Florida A&M. Robert McCoy signed with Auburn, transferred to Virginia Union, won a national championship. Charles Claxton signed with Georgia. His son just now first-round draft pick, or second-round draft pick with the Brooklyn next, Nick Claxton. David Dean signed with Mississippi State. Charles Johnson signed with Hawaii. Myself and Tim Heath signed with uh, Georgia Southern. All on one team. And all these guys – now that basketball is over, are doing well in life. I mean, each one of them, each one of them. Now, if you compare that to the success rate 
of the regular dude in the hallway that come out of Care City. Yeah. Dead or in jail. Dead or in jail. So, and I was from a good home. That's the one thing that I've never been rich or wealthy, but I hit the lotto with the dad lotto. You know what I mean? My dad, Anthony Young, was a great father. You know, he was the dad from everybody from 27th Avenue to 67th Avenue in our neighborhood because most dudes didn't have a dad. So that's the other thing I had that the other dudes could go rob, steal, bring in car, do whatever. They could bring it home. I couldn't do that. You know what I mean? I had a crazy mama named Betty Young who was a soldier. And I hit the lotto with, with a dad. So, you know, again, I, I said this at the beginning of this conversation. I believe your steps are ordered by the Lord. I was me I'm meant to be doing what I'm doing right now. And and I see, you know, I, ain't no question I beat, beat the odds. Uh, and I see how younger guys from my area react to me when they see me. And it's, it scares me almost because, you know, I remember when I was first playing, I first got into coaching, and I would see uh, John Thompson, you know, you know, John Thompson came to Carroll City in 85. He just pointed at me. I'd have fell on my knees and committed. <laughs> you know, what I mean? you know, when I first got into coaching, Nolan Richardson was at, at Arkansas and I was at Auburn. If, if he would have came down there, I'd have gave him all Auburn plays. <laughs> you know I mean? Just gave him to him. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I was so enamored by seeing somebody that looked like me that was doing that. So I, I, I get it. But I also get, and I try to do this, um, there's no training class for our profession, right? You learn by getting shot. I've been shot nine times. I'm still here. You know what I mean? They always say I'm the greatest. I ain't the greatest. I just made more mistakes than everybody else and lived through it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I try to help these young coaches that's coming uh, because I want them to be better than, than I was. You know, I, I look at my career and most people say, oh, he's doing great. Well, I'm 48, and I feel like I'm about 10 years behind in my development, you know, because there's a lot of things I didn't know what I didn't know, right? And I didn't have nobody to tell me or mentor me. Or, because the longer you live on this earth, you understand the two most important words in civilization is one, evolution. Cars get better, shoes get better, TVs get better. You better be getting better yeah. by the second. You know what I mean? I'm sure you got like an iPhone 10 or something right now, right? <laughs> yep, yep. The, I got the 11. Yeah, you, you see what I'm saying? If I snatch that iPhone and get you an iPhone 1, you'll be like, what is this? <laughs> that's how quick technology hits. The second thing is mentorship. Nobody gets anywhere unless somebody grabs them and shows them the way. Those are the two most important words in civilization, evolution and mentorship. You, know I mean? you look at a guy, even from a basketball standpoint, you look at Steph Curry and his baby brother. See, I don't respect Steph Curry himself. I respect Dale Curry. Yep. Because yep. you know what he did to bring them guys through. He, 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 he. He showed them the way. This is what pros do. This is what we got to do. Don't worry about them rankings. Don't worry about this. One of them signed with Davidson. One of them signed with Liberty. <laughs> yeah. Both both pros. So you know somebody there. And that's the same thing in coaching. Most guys who 
make it to the NBA as players. They had somebody to mentor them and bring them through. Most guys who make it in coaching. I'm blessed to have finally become mature enough to accept somebody's help because I'm, you know, I work. I, some people got the Napoleon complex. You know, I got the JJ from Good Times complex, skinny man complex. I wake up mad because I'm skinny. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like somebody talking about me. They feel like I'm, they better than me. So I, you know what I mean? I finally had to have the humility to ask for help. And I ran across some good mentors. You know, Paul Hewitt was a good one when I was at Georgia Tech. And now Jalen Hamilton has been uh, phenomenal. Probably, you know, that's probably the reason why I've stayed so long. Uh, because I get a billion-dollar education on how to be a CEO and head coach, which is something I needed to complete my journey. Well, let's let's talk about that. You know, and I and and I can relate. I can relate because through the bulk of my career, um, I would say that that's been the hardest part is being able to to ask for help when needed, being able to you know because it. it it takes it takes a whole lot of humility, especially, you know, and, and I, I'm when I when I speak of a love and affinity for black men, it's not a negative thing to any other race or any other person, but especially being a black man uh, in a lot of these settings that don't look like us is not acceptable for us to not have the answers or not have it figured out or so we believe so we think right. So that forces us or, or puts us in a position where we never want to feel, uh, appear, or look inadequate. So we're not the one raising our hands saying, hey, I don't understand. I don't know. Can somebody help me? So being at that, that place where you're at in your career and seeing that now, let's talk about what that needs to look like for younger coaches that are starting, being able to have somebody like you that's been shot nine times, right? Somebody that's been through, you know, been through, you know, get, has been has been fired, you know, was fired as alma mater as a head coach. Because as you just said, you know, a lot of what you needed to be successful then, you didn't have those tools in your toolbox. And now you're learning them now that you have that mentor. Talk about the importance of that for young coaches and the importance of being able to say, hey man, I need some help. I cost myself 10 years of my career. You know, I, I I would be the head coach at one, a ACC or SEC program if I had the humility to, to say, hey, I need some help. Or sometimes they always see some help just to be able to say, here's my options. What you think? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just that. Now, you've been through this. Now, I got this. this I can go A, B, or C. Tell me what you think. As opposed to you know, always having that bravado that I got this, Yeah. you know, and that's a happy medium because you got to be confident. And, and I'm a, see the way I look at it. See, I'm a basketball bastard, right? Ain't nobody want me. I played at Georgia Southern. I ain't played at Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke. You know what I mean? I ain't connected to any of these guys. So I came in the profession. I said, I got to get it off the muscle. Mm -hmm. I got, I got to figure it out. Right. I, 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 I pull myself up on my own bootstraps. Yeah. But see, it's got to be a happy medium to having that initiative to go get it, but also having the foresight to understand that, hey, I haven't ever been in this area 
I've never done this. I need to put together a board of directors to help me. Um, and that's something I've gotten better at over the years. And I encourage young coaches to do it. And me, I had people that I could do it. I was just too hard-headed to call. <laughs> you, know I mean? you know what I mean? So uh, it, it makes a tremendous difference. There's some younger coaches that made it uh, further than I did. Guys that came into business with me that are, have been head coach, head coaches for years in power conferences because they had the foresight to do that. You know what I mean? And I, you know, you live, you live, you learn, you grow. I try to get better every year. I try to evolve every year. Uh, I love everybody. I ain't mad at nobody. I ain't trying to fight. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I know me, you know, the Carroll City of me is, is a great thing. <laughs> you know, but the Carroll City of me is a, it's a bad thing. So <laughs> trust me, trust me. I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Well, you talked about evolution and, and growing and developing as a coach. And you talked about, you know, how far you've come from when you first stepped into the business, right? So we're, we're, we're spanning, you know, multiple decades of growth, development, knowledge. Does it bother you to hear your name come up and people say elite recruiter or he's a good recruiter when you've worked so hard to become like you said, a, a, a CEO, a coach, um, a, a program leader, somebody that, you know, develops young men from start to beyond basketball. You know, talk to me a little bit about, uh, I guess it's a two-part question. Number one, hearing that, you know, elite recruiter phrase and, and how do you accept that? And two, how do you keep that from making you bitter within the industry that typically labels, you know, young black coaches as elite recruiters? Well, that's a great question, and I'll try to answer the best I can. For years and years, that ate me up inside. Uh, it probably wasn't until I came to Florida State watching Jalen Hamilton and how he handled that that I got better. Part two to that is I came to a place uh, where he had full confidence in me and allowed me to have my hands on every aspect of the program. So now I had the respect of our staff and our players, and that's, that's all I needed. You know what I mean? And, and I, I felt like I, I had it the other places I've been, uh, but not to the magnitude that I had it here. Um, and, that, and, that, and that really, really helped. So. You know, I think now the way we're winning, um, and Jalen Helms is a great CEO, right? He's going to hire people and let them do their job. Now, ain't no doubt about it who runs the show here. Jalen <laughs> Helms runs the show at Florida State. <laughs> uh, if you ever don't want to believe that, try him. You'll find out real quick. But uh, <laughs> but he's gonna, he is going to let you do you. Uh, he doesn't want yes men around him. Uh, if you disagree with him on the issue, he may go your way, he may not, but he's going to say, ah, I like that, but I'm going this way. But it ain't ever going to be no confrontation or mad. Or, I mean, this guy, this guy is amazing, man. That's why I work so hard for him. I got to get him, I got to help him get into the Hall of Fame. I, I got to help him win a national championship. Uh, you know, the first thing you learn in the Bible to be successful is the more you give, the more you receive. And this guy's helped more people 
that you will never see show up in the paper. You know what I mean? You will never see it show up in the paper. You know, that more credit for it kind of moves in silence. But just a great human being. You know what I'm saying? Just a great person. In, in it for the right reasons. And then the last part of that question I'll say is, my love for the kids, I realized I was doing it to, I want to help each young man. You know, my journey in basketball, I want to help them by giving them everything I did to make me a successful player. And then I want to give them all the things that I wish I would have done that I didn't do. Right. And so when you do that with a player and you watch their development, I mean, I've been on a journey with guys that become pros. That's just, you can't buy that. You know, it's beautiful. My relationship with Dwayne Bacon or Terrence Mann or Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams, even, you know, back to Marquise Daniels and Auburn. Like, Marquise Daniels called me two, three days a week. Oh, what's going on over there? West Flanagan and Auburn, all of them my babies. So the, the relationship I built with those guys, you know, you start realizing, you know what? Wanting somebody to say, you're a great coach or this and that, that's, that's not what it's about. It's about pointing to these young men. And then eventually all that will come. It might be late, but better late than never. It, it, it'll come. Uh, I've never been good at the self-promotion or the, the networking. Yeah. Uh, as the other thing, early in the profession, I was too proud to kind of – I've gotten better at that as I've been in the, in the profession. You know, I'm, I've seen some guys who made it to the top quick because they were really good at that, you know. Um, Carol City and I just had a little bit too much pride to, 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 to kiss butt, so I had to find the happy medium between networking and, you know, had to learn, had to yeah. grow. <laughs> and mature. And the thing is, you know, in these conversations that I've had, it's so funny, you know, you, you hear the same sentiments over and over again about what guys wish they, they had at the beginning. And, you know, I, I'm more on the outside looking in. Um, so I, I can't speak and say that it's not there, but on a grand scheme of things, it doesn't appear that there's enough opportunities for growth and development training and education for those young coaches coming into the business, those young black coaches coming into the business to teach them how to, you know, walk those lines. And, you know, I know, you know, you're, you're available for those conversations. Jason G, you know, I talked to him. He, he, he has a group of guys that he mentors. Um, you know, Patrick Ball, when he has a group of guys, he mentors. You know, during these conversations with these coaches, I'm hearing them all say the same thing. Hey, I'm helping out younger guys. I'm helping out younger guys. What can we do or what is missing that, you know, maybe somebody watching this will hear and say, okay, I'm going to help with that. What can we do to, to create something where across the board there's some sort of resources for these guys entering the business, whether they're coming in as that AAU coach, coming in as that middle school, high school coach, or in their first Division One job so that they're getting the knowledge and the understanding that, you know, for, for you – you know, it took a decade and some change to understand and know that. How do we give those guys a, um, you know, instead of them starting the race out the blocks, how do we turn this into a relay race where we're, we're handing that baton and we're telling them to go further? That's a great analogy. Um, you know, I, I think there's a couple things. Uh, there's There's been some 
organizations that that's gotten very, very serious about professional development. Um, I'm on the board of directors with a, a group called a Step Up with Felicia Hall Allen. Uh, that's that's been very, very good. I know some of these ADs and uh, agent type people. Uh, I know Nike Villa, Nike Villa Seven. Uh, I would encourage any young coach to fight tooth and nail to get into one of those deals every year. Because I was blessed when I first came into business. What helped me, what finally made me understand I got to get my act together was going to the Black Coaches Association. I went to the Black Coaches Association and I'm sorry, my phone rings every eight seconds. Uh, <laughs> I, went, I went to the Black Coaches Association and I looked around and and it's 96, 97. I had been in the business about two, three years. And uh, I'll never forget this. Uh, Charlene Thomas Swenson. She's married to Aaron Swenson. She might be an assistant. She's at uh, LSU now. Been in the business forever. Played at Auburn with my wife. Uh, got into coaching. And she was coaching at Auburn when I was an administrative assistant. And she says to me, you going to the Black Coast Association? I was like, nah, I ain't going to that. I'm going out of Miami to see my cousin hang out, you know. And she's like, no, you need you need to go. And then so I went and I said, man, let me let me button up my shirt and put my shirt in. <laughs> this is a profession. Yeah. This is a profession. And it I just started. So every year since then, every year. Even when they close the BCA down, I've tried to go to some, at least one or two or three professional development seminars. And I go there and I'm in there for the long haul. Like I'm not, even now, now I wind up teaching a lot at, at a step up, which uh, I don't know how that happened. I mean, I just, we, they just adopted me and I wind up teaching, but I still listen to all the speakers all the coaches, uh, you learn so much. I mean, I and and a step up started out as an organization for women's coaches, and uh, they were trying to grow the men part of it. And those women coaches were so sharp, man, and so creative. And I learned so much. I just kept going. I tell young coaches, man, you got to go to the Final Four and count every year. You got to learn. You got you got to go to these professional development organizations. Any of them that's open now. As far as making another one that takes it to another level, I don't know if you can, but it's 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 definitely we need to put our head together and yeah. figure that out yeah. um, and make it an elite deal where we train some guys. Some guys are not worthy of being in that those type deal. They they hadn't earned the right with their work ethic. I have young 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 cats come up to me all the time, young Thundercats. Coach, why man? Can you help? You know, you can't choose me. I got to choose you. Because when I go on the road, I'm watching. And young Thundercats got to understand, you always being evaluated. I see some of these guys on the road not serious about their profession. Right? They, they not, they not, just the way they carry themselves, being punctual, being in the gym, you know, grinding. You know, they, they might do it because they like the lifestyle. You know what I mean? Because it looks good on a business card. But if you're a coach, you got to understand, 
you a cop. You are the job. You know, when I first came into business, you know, I look at these young Thundercats now, I say, these boys sauce. <laughs> we, used to, we used to go on the road July 6th and don't come back to August the 1st with one pair of underwear left. Been on the road for a whole month. Now we got dead, dead, quiet, dead, cold. When I first came into business, real gorillas ain't that. Coach, I stay in the gym all night, get in my car, drive all the way from uh, the Panhandle down to Miami, sleep at the rest area, make it to a 9 o'clock game, Coach. Yeah. Make it. Yeah. But but guys don't understand that it takes that type of commitment to it, to the profession, uh, to be a, to call yourself a coach. You know, this is a prestigious profession. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that some of these younger guys can get that. You know, some, of these, some guys, it's a lifestyle. Some guys ain't built for it. I'm you know, I'm blessed to marry a woman that's in basketball, so she understands that my phone rings every eight seconds and that I may have to get out of bed at 11 o'clock to go to the apartments to make sure Raekwon Gray is all right. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, a lot of people don't – a lot of people get into coaching, and they say, ah, I can't do this. And that's what I was just – I was just about to, to mention that. You know, um, it can be a stressful – it can be a stressful environment. It can be a stressful, you know, it's a calling, right? You, you, can't, you can't half do this. If you're passionate and you, you're serious about it, you can't half do it. And you, you mentioned your wife and you mentioned her uh, understanding of the business and understanding of the sport. Um, and, you know, that's something that I think, you know, I look at your daughters. I mean, you know, two phenomenal, phenomenal ball players, you know, playing at the highest level. You know, you have your sons that are, are coming up. You know, talk to me a little bit about the balance of, you know, your, your, your job, your calling, and being a husband and a father. Well, it's, 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 it's very important. Uh, I've always felt like, you know, most guys said that you couldn't do both, uh, and that's not true. You probably have to work for somebody who wants a family environment. I say you can't work for everybody. Uh, I'm blessed to work for Jalen and Hamilton who, you know, lets us do what we need to do in terms of coaching and lets us do what we need to do with our family. Uh, I try to take my babies, my daughter and my son to school. I try to pick them up. I try to make it to the games. Uh, sometimes the profession is tough. You know, you got games. I do miss a lot of things. Uh, coronavirus has taught me a lot because I thought I was doing a lot. And I see now I'm going to have to fight for it a little more. Yeah. Uh, and my baby daughter used to get on me, used to hurt my feelings. And now I see she was right. You know, I'm, I'm going to have to adjust and really work at scheduling some time to make sure they don't feel second fiddle to the profession. I, th I think that's important. I've always worked to make sure they never felt include them in everything, spend time with them, get them in the gym, uh, you know, let them go on some, some, some trips. What it's like, make sure they understand that they're not second fiddle to the profession. I think, I think that's important. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, I, I think that without a doubt, I learned a lot of your story and a lot of your journey. Um, and I think that, you know, this is only, that's only a, a tip of the iceberg. I think that, you know, you could, you could sit down and, and teach a, an entire course on, you know, your experiences and how that can, you know, shape and mold a young coach. And I, and I think that it's, you know, it, it, it's in your future, whether, whether you see it yet 
or not. You probably have thought about it, but you know, I think that it, it, there's, it's important. We talk about getting up the ladder and reaching back down. And that's the reason why I did this. And that's the reason why um, you know, the people that I brought on, I, I hand-selected them because I know the type of people they are and, and what they, not only what they bring to the profession, but what they bring to the world. You know, what, what outside of them um, that they show the world and, and help make this a better place for everybody they encounter. So you know, I think that without a doubt, it's, it's in your call and it's in your future to not only develop players, but, but develop these young coaches and continue that. Um, one of the things that I, I ask, and I've always asked on, on every interview I've done, I always make whoever I'm talking to take a, a kind of a, a time machine, if you will, and have a conversation with their younger self. And you, know, you talked about coming back from, from France and you know, having a little bit of money in your pocket and you know, having, having a Mitsubishi Galant and you were all set up and ready to go. Um, what piece of advice now, after being as far as you've been and going through all the experiences that you've gone through, if you were sitting across from yourself coming back from France, what's one piece of advice that you would say to young CY knowing that you're about to embark on this journey and you've got to give yourself that, that little nugget of, of wisdom to make sure that you, you get there. You get there maybe quicker or maybe, maybe it might not be as quick, but you know, a little bit more uh, well-prepared. Uh, I would say two things. Uh, young CY, seek mentorship. You don't know it all. You don't know it all. It's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and evolve at a warp pace. Do whatever you got to do to get better. Get better every day, every month, every year. Get better. I think for some years in my career, I had so much success as a coach and recruiter at a young age. Uh, and to be honest with you, it came kind of natural. And again, I got to go back to Robbie Allen Lane, like my stepfather. When I was at Georgia Southern, when he had recruits, I hosted everyone. So we played, I played on a team, and I got to give my brothers a shout out. Uh, 1992, I played on a team that was second in the nation in scoring Georgia Southern that went to the NCAA tournament, went 15-1 and in the league. Um, Dexter Abrams, Calvin Sinkfield, uh, Chris Burton, Wendell Moore, who's now a coach at Prairie View, uh, Tony Winless. I'm talking about a great, a great, great mid-major team. I mean, a great mid-major team. Um, but I hosted all those guys on their visit, every one of them. Um, and they were all Robbie Lang and Mike Backus uh, recruits. and. Um, so I, I had a natural feel for it because I had been around Coach Lang and he and I kind of worked together. Even though I was playing, I was like his assistant coach right. when he was turning players in. And, uh, but I had so much success at an early age that for about five or six years, I just was doing it the way I was doing it. You know, I just kept doing it the same way I had always done it, and I never added – and then about seven to eight years in, you know, I started seeing other guys 
in the profession that were really good. You know, Anthony Grant. You know, Anthony Grant was a thorn in my side <laughs> when I was at Auburn. He was at Florida. And our battles go back to Miami, Florida, Miami Dade Junior College when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Like, I grew up idolizing him when he was a player. He played for Miami Senior. I played for Miami, Carroll City. Then he gets into coaching, and he starts off as a high school. So he was a Frank Martin and Anthony Grant were assistant coaches at Miami High when I was playing uh, the point at Carroll City, and we would play Miami High, and it would be 15,000 people at the Miami Arena. <laughs> that was more than the Heat was getting in 88. <laughs> and so then we go into coaching, and Anthony Grant, here he is again. I get into coaching. And now I'm going head to head again, and he and, he and I are assistants, and he's really good. You know, Rob Lanier, he's he's really really good. So I had to add stuff to my game uh, as a coach, as a recruiter, become the total package. Uh, I couldn't just BS my way through it. I had to think. I had to grow. I had to to be able to really really build relationships, give presentations. Uh, show people that I was more than just a recruiter that I could coach, that I could develop, that I could game plan and sell the program in a high-level fashion. And uh, I wish I would have done that; those two things early. Seek mentorship and evolve quicker. That's, that's perfect. That's perfect. And I think that, you know, without a doubt, um, without a, there's a lot that I took away from that. And I think that we're going to be able to – shift the culture a little bit of the young coaches coming in and you know it's funny you know the all the things that you're saying you know we i've, I've heard them over and over again um, from different coaches as they've talked about their journey and you know there's no secret to why you've all been successful and why you know you you've had because that self-reflection and being able to to you know look in the mirror and say hey i should have could have and now I'm going to, right? Versus I should have, could have, and would have. You know, I should have, I could have, now I'm going to. Now I'm going to apply it. So um, I know, I, go ahead. I want to say this to you before, but I, and it's important that I say this on this podcast or show. Um, there's some really good young black coaches coming up that are the total package. Uh, really good. This next wave of guys are coming, and they're—I don't want to say this, and I don't want it to be come off derogatory because I don't mean it that way—but they're caught up in that uh, uh, perception that they're recruiters because of the programs they work for. Yeah, which you know, I don't know why that happens, and I'm not, I don't want to blame the head coach, but it it, it happens in our profession. Um, and you know what? To be honest with you, is I think it's very uh indicative of the climate that we're in now you know black and, and black and white but there's some guys coming you know chad dollar at georgia he's perceived as a recruiter that guy's a great coach a great all-around guy west flanagan at auburn i guess because he's in the sec that guy's not just a recruiter that guy's a great coach um steve smith when he was at clemson he's now here at florida state the perception might have been, oh, he's just a recruiter because he's at Clemson with Brad Brunell. That guy is a great coach. And, uh, you know, it's it's a group of young guys. I, I know a uh, young young guy just got the job in South Carolina that was at St. Louis, St. Louis Will Bay. Mm -hmm. uh, 
a lot of people look at him as just as just a recruiter. The guy's a great coach. These guys played the game, can teach it, can develop players, can game plan, can scout, and for whatever reason, you know, you know, some of these programs allow those guys to continue to be put in that forum. And uh, I think we got to try to do something. You know, that's why I love what you're doing uh, with more than a recruiter. Like, you know, some of the guys that you put out on your on your uh, big storyline or, or internet site, I think people start to realize that those guys, that the Anthony Solomons and the and the uh, uh, Tang at Baylor and you know, it, it, these guys, you know, Hobbs, you know, Hobbs is, he should be a division one head coach. I mean, that guy, that guy is really, really good. You know, he was one of the guys when I first came into business that I watched that I was, that made me nervous when he showed up. I'm like, ah, there go Hobbs, you know. And then people don't realize, but remember when he gets a head, when he gets the head job at Georgia, at George Washington, the, the guy kills it. Yeah. He's winning 30 games a year. Yep. And all of a sudden he can't get another head job. It's just it's it's ridiculous. But we 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 chopping wood. We starting to make some headway. And um but I, I felt compelled to say that on this show that there's a there's a group of guys that people their respective university might allow them to be viewed as just recruiters, but they're great coaches and I think eventually they're gonna come. No, for they're, sure. They're for sure. And, and I'll tell you, um, until somebody takes my voice away, you know, we, we, you, you talked about, you know, your calling and being called and you believe. And, and that's how we started this. You know, you you believe and you felt called um, to to the the role um, of coaching and development and working with these young men. And that's the same thing. I, I felt a calling on my life. You know, it, it would have been very easy for me to stay on in the administrative side of basketball. You know, I get phone calls all the time, people saying, hey, you know, I've got a, a situation or an opportunity, why don't you come along? And I look at it from a standpoint of, you know, at Spire Academy, I can help 22 lives, right? 22 lives that year, I can, I can shape, mold, help those 22 guys. But on the path that I feel called to, there's no limitation on the people that I can help, on the people that I can work with and, and the lives that I can impact and hopefully affect some level of change and some level of growth. Uh, so, you know, I feel called to help tell you guys stories. I feel called to, to ask the question of what do we need more of from a development side? Because guess what? I'm going to figure out a way to create it and I'm going to figure out a way to, to deliver it at a point and at a, at a large scale situation where, you know, all guys have to do is go, okay, hey, I want to see Coach CY talk about, you know, how, how to break a press because I, I know that, you know, they, they, Florida State, they play fast. They're picking up people full court. You know, I need to understand how they're doing that and vice versa. I need to understand how, you know, the, the, the ACC, it's a freeway. You know, it's, it's no, you know, you're not on the slow lane. Everything's going fast paced, right? And you have to be able to adjust on the fly. For young coaches that don't know, how do I make those in-game quick adjustments to be able to hear from somebody like you? So for me, that's where my mind is working and thinking. And, you know, 
They say um, a, a story about an entrepreneur, and I can't remember exactly who the quote comes from, so I feel bad that I'm not able to quote him, but they say move fast and break things, right? And don't, don't be afraid of not having it perfect and being able to bring it out and say, hey, it's perfect, it's ready to go, you know, here's that finished product. No, you gotta move fast and break things, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, you know, I wanna disrupt that whole mindset and model and idea that young black coaches are just recruiters. I want to blow that out the water and then at the same time, at the same token, provide opportunities for them to get the education and get the development that, that is needed um, you know, so, so nobody can sit back and give an excuse of why a guy's not a head coach. You know, he, he has all the tools. I'm going to say this right here on your show. Coach Stevens is associate head coach at Michigan State. Mm -hmm. You're a Detroit guy. Yep. There is no difference in Tom Crean or Brian Gregory or Doug Wojcik than Dwayne Stevens, right? 100%. Those guys got major jobs coming out of there, correct? 100%. The production with Coach Stevens being the associate head coach with Izzo is just as good, if not better. But he doesn't get the same opportunity that Tom Crean Brian Gregory, or Walter. And those guys are really good coaches, all friends of mine. I like them. Yep. Good guy. <laughs> but that perception that Dwayne Stevens is not as good of, of a basketball coach as Cream, Wojcik, or Gregory, that's asinine. All you got to do is look at the data. I yep. don't get emotional. <laughs> Read the data. You know what I mean? This ain't my opinion. <laughs> look at the numbers when the guy was in hell. And you know, so people say, well, we, we don't know if he can be a head coach. Well, you knew that Tom Crean could be a head coach. Why? <laughs> you knew that Wojcik could be. They had the same position, right? You get what I'm saying? 100%. Like, you practical intelligence. I mean, I'm first team All-American all common sense. I tell my daughter <laughs> that all the time. First team All-American. <laughs> now, that, coach, that don't make no sense. Now, listen, I love everybody. I ain't mad at nobody. I ain't trying to fight, right? <laughs> but if you look at the data, right? It's just like Jalen Hamilton. I say it all the time. People get uncomfortable when I say it. Oh, coach, Jalen Hamilton, he's a good recruiter. He ain't a good basketball coach. He ain't a great X and O guy. He ain't a great CEO. Really? Look at the data. Look at his record. Let's see what his record is head-to-head -head versus the guy you think is a good X and O guy. If he keeps winning head-to-head -head against the guy that you think is a, head, a great X and O guy, if his record against the great X and O guy is 5-1, and one, who's the better basketball coach? 100%. 100%. Listen, we I, all love know. Every, I, I love everybody. I ain't mad at nobody. I ain't trying to fight. Practical intelligence got to apply to everything. That's what I'm saying. Come on, man. <laughs> well, you know, you know, and I and, and I think I think we've chipped away, and and I've chipped away a little bit at at what I believe, and, and I could be wrong, but my belief of the reason why that occurs, um, I, I blame I blame us, and the reason why I blame us is because we've always been taught that when you're in a role, um, when you're in a role as an assistant. You're supposed to be that good soldier. And, you know, it, it goes back to, you know, growing up, 
you know, I was told, hey, young folks are, are to be seen, not heard, right? And it appears to me that a lot of us have never gotten out, out of that mold of being seen and not heard. And we feel like, you know, it's something wrong with speaking up for ourselves or something wrong with, with saying, you know, hey, I'm ready. I'm prepared. I have what it takes. I want to be a head coach. And when, when we step up and, and communicate that, it's viewed as self-promotion. It's viewed as a negative thing versus, you know, career development or versus, you know, the confidence of us. I mean, you know, you look at any other, you know, any other, any, any other role, any other world outside of coaching, you're going around putting in applications every day of the week, right? You know, you're, you're saying, hey, I deserve a raise. I, I deserve, you know, I deserve a promotion, right? You know, and that happens anywhere else in any other industry. But within our industry, it's viewed as a negative thing. And that's why, you know, I think it's important for us to have these conversations. And I've candidly had conversations with guys that I believe should, should be head coaches. And, and those conversations have, have circled around, but yeah, coach, you know, I'm not a self-promoter. I'm not going to talk about myself. Um, so that's why I say, you know what, but I will. Because I see it. I've been on the road and see the way you guys work. Because I've always fashioned myself as I'm going to be the first person in the gym and the last person out of the gym. And I'm showing up at Peach Jam when, when the doors are opening and seeing you guys and saying, damn, I knew I was going to be the first one here, but I'm not. And that's where, you know, when I see that, you know, other people can talk about what they think. And, oh, that guy, you know, you know, I think he works hard. No, I've seen the hard work. I've seen, you know, me, me and Coach Solomon have sat next to each other courtside, you know, in a gym that nobody else is in because there were no five stars on the floor. And Coach Solomon's sitting there evaluating, and that's the reason why he got an Obi Toppin. That's the reason why, you know, they get some of the players they get at Dayton because him and Coach Grant, it's not about where kids ranked at. It's not about doing the easy work and calling a kid because he got an offer and you say, okay, well, hey, he's got an offer in our conference, so he must be good enough for us. No, I've seen those guys recruit guys that nobody knew about. You know, I've seen I've seen you looking at a guy and I look over, you know, the, the big boy, um, the big boy that nobody else knew about until, uh, you know, last year. And then he blew up um, and he was a, he was a postgrad guy. Uh, Kyle McGilly. Yeah. And, and, and you, you and Dennis Gates had a great evaluation on that. Yeah. And, and you and I are talking. You and I are talking about this kid before anybody even knows who he is. And that's the difference. Twenty seven took in the draft. So they can say, okay, hey, you know, a lot of these young black coaches, okay, they're great recruiters. But let's not forget, without that element of it, you're not winning no ball games. Zero. So, <laughs> so if you can't find, if you can't find, evaluate, and then once you found and evaluated that talent, convince that talent that the place that you have is the best situation for them, if you can't do those three things, I don't care how great of an X and O guy you are. So be working, be working at Walmart, <laughs> so, working at Walmart. so so that, that's that's my that's my calling. That's my calling is to be able to help those young guys that have you know the ability to evaluate talent. They have the hunger and the work ethic to go out there and do it. They have the ability to recruit. Let's give them the tools to be amazing X and O guys. Let's make them CEOs of their craft early 
So there is no longer you know, a, a barrier or a litmus test of saying, hey, you know what, but he can't do this, so I'm gonna go hire this other person that you know, might not be as qualified or as talented. So I think that that's, that's what I'm working on. I'm gonna tell you this, I'm gonna let you go. I've told all four of my children, and uh, Ariel Young, who's a redshirt sophomore at University of North Carolina, Adia Young, who uh, is a rising junior, getting recruited by a bunch of high majors, um, Ole Miss, Xavier, Clemson. Um, my oldest boy is an eighth grader, going to be a ninth grader, Isaiah Young. And my baby boy is Nehemiah Young. He's a seventh grader, going to be an eighth grader. I told all four of them, you're not going to be coaches. It ain't happening. <laughs> if you want to go in athletics, you're going to be an athletic director. That's what's going to happen. My oldest daughter, she's African-American coaches need more ADs so we have more people in position to hire. Yep. And I'm going to start with my own house. So they all know I got them all sold on going, getting their master's, going to law school, studying athletic administration, because we got to get more, more uh, minority athletic directors to give us an opportunity to get more hires. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. But until then, we're just going to keep chipping away at it. And, and I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time today to help us chip away at it. And, you know, this, is, this, ain't, this isn't the last conversation by far between us. So we're going to continue building this and continue working on this. And we're going to figure out, you know, different ways to, to, better, to do it better and then to deliver it to the younger guys to help them, like I said, pass that baton instead of them coming out the blocks. I love that. I love that analogy, man. I'm, I'm gonna steal that from you. You mind if I steal that? Hey, hey, go ahead. It's yours. No, yeah, hey, you, you ain't even gotta quote me. You can go. You can go ahead and use it. <laughs> oh man, well I've enjoyed it, man. Thank you so much for having me on, Chief. Thank you. We'll, we'll talk soon. I appreciate you. All right. All right. Reach back. Yes, sir.